0: every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: believe.
2: I'm excited. Here we go. All right, let me do this. Hey Dre, let's get this thing going. Let's go. To another episode of What's the Hype podcast. The building interception,
0: and you're not down by ten anymore. Andre How to, to get you the information that you need to you start your own business and do your own thing.
1: And I felt like it gave me a good perspective. I was
0: not the first person to go through what I went through.
2: Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. I'm your host, Andre Howe. Man, and we're excited, man. We got another exciting episode. I mean, this is one, um, Dre, that I've been excited for for some time. Had the great pleasure of meeting this young man and uh, just kind of getting to know him and his family. So um, as as we get ready to kick this thing off, uh, we got a Milwaukee native, uh, first- Team Junior College All-American, All-Region MVP, first team All-Big Ten, second team All-Big Ten, 12-year pro, the former second-round draft pick for the Houston Rockets, 2007 All-NBA team, and not to mention a National Junior College Athletic Association Hall of Famer. With no further ado, we want to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Carl Landry. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me,
0: Dre, Port Allen's finest, and oh Jeff, Christ. I appreciate y'all having me on the show, man. For man, sure. Absolutely.
2: It's, it's our pleasure. Um, we, we really appreciate you finding the time to, to jump on and share your story. Um, I know you're familiar with our podcast, but for those that aren't familiar, we just really like to go beyond the hype. A lot of times um, people, when they see guys that have made it professionally or made it to a high level, they just assume that that's that journey must have been an easy journey an easy process so we like to kind of go beyond that and just share the stories the good the bad and at the end of the day hopefully inspire someone to continue to push on and even to be able to have more details to kind of make decisions on as they move forward absolutely absolutely so 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 with no further ado we're going to just get into it we like to start from the beginning right we want to talk about what it was like growing up in Milwaukee. And before that, right, we want to talk about Milwaukee Bucks bringing a championship to Milwaukee. What is, I mean, what has that whole experience been like for you before you kind of, you rocking the shirt, yes sir, yes sir. Talk about that experience and what has that been like for the city and then just kind of talk about a little bit about growing up there.
0: Man, I mean, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with the Midwest, but Milwaukee is your typical Midwest city blue collar, hardworking people, uh, nine to five, just, you know, go to work, come home, be with family and pretty much do that every day. Um, and that's what I grew up. My my family, my mom, my dad went to work, came home, we went to church, you know, and that was pretty, went to school. That was pretty much it. Uh, the Bucks bringing a championship to the city of Milwaukee, man, is a uh, I can't even really put it into words. Um, I've been a Bucks fan my whole life. Um, I think the last time they won a the championship was 1970, so that's 50 years. Uh, and to bring that type of excitement uh, to the city uh, is man, it's unreal. And Milwaukee is one of the the I would probably say in, any city in the Midwest is 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 essentially segregated. So. You know, you got one crowd on this side of town, one crowd on that side of town. So to see everyone in the same area celebrating and cheering on one team, I mean, there was no, you know, fighting, bickering, and everybody was on one accord, man. That was a great look for the city of Milwaukee. And uh, I was proud to just be able to see it uh, in my lifetime. Absolutely.
2: What's your your thoughts before we go on? What's your thoughts of just the, the, the young guy? Giannis what just kind of what, what's your thoughts on him
0: oh man I'm not sure if y'all saw but Giannis is now part owner of the Milwaukee Brewers major baseball brewer. team uh dude is 26 years old when the show started you read off my accolades like during college first team second team all it is the NBA and all that Giannis accolades at 26 year old t- 26 years old is from Houston Texas it's as long as trip from Houston, Texas, all the way to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I mean, this dude has accomplished so much in, you know, his eight-year tenure in the NBA. I mean, most improved, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year. Uh, he may be the first player to ever make close to, you know, a billion dollars, and that's <laughs> on, the on the court. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's unreal, man, and, and what he does and what he's brought to the city of Milwaukee, you know, our state can't thank
1: him enough. So, uh, when, when did you first get involved in sports, and who inspired you early on? Uh,
0: you inspired me, Dre. No, I'm <laughs> 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 oh man, that's a great question because my story was unique. Man, it's different. Um, obviously, you know, growing up in the neighborhood, I would play basketball, football, any type of thing I can get my hand on, volleyball, kickball. But my first time playing organized sports was uh sophomore year in high school so I got to high school and my story is I got to high school when I was about six two six three so I was kind of tall for you know a freshman walking up and down the hallway everybody was asking me like hey man you trying out for the team hey you know can you hoop can you you know and I'm like "Mm -hmm. I'm gonna try out I ain't really never sports before so I tried out up on the freshman team and, and got cut and that was the beginning of my journey. So, I hadn't really played any organized sports before that. So, my sophomore year in high school was my first time playing any organized sport. Who inspired the people, the kids in school inspired me. You know, walking through the hall, being 6'2", 6'3" as a freshman, them you know, telling me I was a waste of talent, talent telling me, you know, I wish I had your height like you a scrub just, you know, just throwing little seeds and in a in a in a way just picking on me inspired me. They inspired me to go out and try to make the junior varsity team my uh, sophomore year in high school.
2: Now, so I was going to ask you about that story because I I, I heard that that kind of really turned the motor on for you. Just kind of hearing people, you know, kind of bully or make comments about you and playing basketball. So kind of highlighted that a little bit. So that was really what really got you to to work hard and really try to commit to being uh, commit to being good in basketball. Is Is that correct?
0: Absolutely. I mean, not only just the, at, the the kids at school, but I'm walking down the hallway and the janitor is like, man, I wish I your high school. but it was just, it was just talks, you know, high school and uh, that, that definitely motivated me to try to go out and make the, the junior varsity team as a sophomore.
1: Uh, tell us about your high school career. Um, So
0: obviously that cut my freshman year in high school. And I tried out again my sophomore year. Made the junior varsity team. Now, this was interesting because I barely made the junior varsity team. You know, wow. uh, That's barely, crazy, barely made the junior varsity team. And didn't start anything. But I just kept kept working. I just kept working, kept practicing. My uh, parents bought us a, a basketball court out in the front. And we put it out in the front yard. And uh, I used to shoot around. Nothing serious, just playing with the kids in the neighborhood. But I kept working. And uh, eventually earned myself uh, a spot on the varsity team my junior year. My junior year, I set the bench. Now granted, we went, I went to a high school, Milwaukee Vincent High School, that had a pretty good team. We was a team that I believe won state twice, two or three times while I was there. So we were a powerhouse in the state of Wisconsin. Junior year didn't play, barely played. I played, but barely uh, set the bench. Senior year was my first year starting in high school. Wow,
1: that's crazy, man.
0: First year starting in high school. So uh and that was my story. But what's crazy is I was the fifth option.
2: Wow. So you started, but As a the starter, last I
0: was the fifth option. Yeah. First, first one son. <laughs> Come on over here. <laughs> <laughs> you, know <what> <laughs> so, you, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I was the first one to the bench. So uh
2: fifth option man so yeah. just just intriguing i can relate to that too I, I went to our powerhouse uh in miami and i was uh, just kind of what inspired me to because i as a junior i didn't start either uh you know kind of rotated or whatever but i remember a guy asking one of the starters who was like a senior you know about different people so i remember him asking about me and the guy my, my teammate older guy didn't know i you know because i was in an ear hole and he was like man yeah he'll never start here. he'll never play like you know, and I heard that, and going into my senior year, I was most improved, End up being, like, a team leader, starter. I'm talking about at a, at a school that are producing major NFL players. I had guys behind me go major D1, you know, but that was just the inspiration, so I can relate to that, not necessarily, you know, somebody telling me I'm too big or whatever, but to hear guys say, oh, yeah, he'll never play here, like, you know what I mean? That you, know what? Something. you
0: know what? I heard an interview not too, too long ago, a couple days ago, actually, and Anybody is anybody successful in life, including us three, has always been motivated through negativity. You know what I'm saying? That's what drove us to be who we are today. And I think if you ask anybody successful that's played any sport, they'll give you some type of story where they were counted out. But they continued to work, man. It's crazy.
2: And to kind of cap that off. So within a year, I, it was the most improved, got my confidence, became a starter. That guy went off to the uh, a, 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 a mid major when he came back in the summer. Right? Let me tell you this when he came back in the summer to work out, the guys told him, You can't cover him on your best day. He was a DB. <laughs> so, like, how, like, I mean, and, you know, just, I mean, just in that knowing that, right? Like, that thing was what lit me. Uh, just felt good to kind of, you know, be in that space where a guy's looking at you totally different, you know what I mean? So, I that that was a to me full circle type thing, man. But that was really, really a great moment for me. But let me get back to you. Just like, you know, just becoming a senior, the fifth option, um, your senior year as a starter, you know, a lot of people would have given up on that. However, you decided to, like, continue to press on. So you decided to go the junior college route. um, And and the school you attended, I want you to say the name of it because I don't want to mess this up. Uh, But (laughs) players much much like Sean Marion and the great Bob McAdoo, um, you decided to go there to continue your skills. Talk about uh, that decision and how that impacted your future in basketball.
0: So obviously I was a late boomer and I wasn't getting recruited that much going into my senior year. So, but like I said, we were a powerhouse school. So there was always college coaches coming to our game and checking on our talent. So uh, there were some division three and division two schools kind of, you know, watching me and, you know, interested in me. So I was, I, the first person to graduate from college in my family. I didn't know anything about college. I didn't know about SAT, A C T. So I took the ACT. And I'm like, man, when this thing over, but it was four or five hours long. You know what I'm saying? So I just started C, C, C. <laughs> <laughs> as all my answers was C. You know? So make a long story short, I didn't pass the ACT. I, my my school, my ACT score was wasn't, it wasn't high enough, or it wasn't a passing passing grade. So D two was out of the question. There was some during college coming to check out our games, actually to uh, look at another player that played in my high school. And uh, one of the coaches asked about me and was like, Hey man, you ever think about coming to Vincennes? That's how you say university. And I was like, man, like I'm going, I'll go anywhere. Like I don't, I don't have no, you know, Scholarships or no full rides or anything like that. So, uh, but he did tell me, he was like, if you do accept this scholarship, and this is before he offered me the scholarship, he said, if you do accept this scholarship, just know we may only be able to offer you about five or 10 minutes. Again, they had a bunch of players at my position that were better than me already, you know, and I'm like, oh man, you know, I want to go somewhere and hoop and continue getting better. But I said, whatever, you know, put me in the cage, put me in the dog cage and I'm gonna try to come out on top, you know, against the best. So I accepted the scholarship and started off slow, but God continued continued to create like opportunities for me. You know, one dude got kicked out of school. One dude got homesick, like, and he kept carving out a way for me where I had an opportunity to play and I made the best of it.
1: Man, that's amazing. That, that's what's up, bro. That's what's up, dog. Well, talk, talk to us about your recruiting process and where you decided to go after junior college. Well,
0: I try, I decided to stay in the state of Indiana. So Vincennes University is in southern Indiana. And uh, I decided to stay in Indiana and go to Purdue University. Uh, And had other offers at that time because my freshman year in JUCO, uh, we – were pretty good. My second year in JUCO, we was the number one team in the country. Like this JUCO was like, I played for a powerhouse in high in high school in, in junior college, you know. So we were pretty good. Transferred to Purdue because I felt like Purdue was a school that was still close to home. You know, I can get back to Milwaukee, and they wanted me. You know, they just didn't. They didn't just recruit me because I was an extra asset to the team or the university. They was like, look, man, we need you. We feel like you can be a a great addition to our team. And when I got there, we was trash. (laughs)
2: Listen, as you talk about the recruitment process, obviously you guys go to being one of the most dominant uh, uh, junior college teams. But can you just, before we go on to like, can you, Tell me, like, obviously, guys moved on, got kicked out, or whatever that may be. What yeah. was it for you that really kind of helped elevate your game? Like, was it a Man. system? Was it a coach? It
0: was, it, that's a great story because I'll never forget we were about two weeks into practice. And me being a late bloomer and always just getting rebounds, passing it to the best player on the team, I still had that mentality mentally, you know? So, when I even when I got to junior college, I'm getting the rebound not even looking at the basket to shoot, I'll just pass it, (laughs) I'll just pass it. You know what I'm saying? So it was one day in practice, Coach Sparks, Coach Dan Sparks was his name. He said, Landry, when you catch the ball, look at the basket. And I promise you, when I caught the ball and I turned and faced and looked at the basket, the basket was big as the ocean, you know? (laughs) It looked as big as the ocean, and I'll never forget that because that was a day that changed my life. And ever since then, I was like, I'm about to be aggressive. Like, I had the athleticism. I was quick. You know, I could jump, but I just oh, – all I was a role player. You know, I would get the rebounds, pass it, play defense. Man, I looked at that basket, and it was no stopping me, man.
2: Man, that, and, that, and that just sounds like a mentality, right? Just it, – it's as simple as changing the mentality. Um, I just want to make sure that we highlight that. But as you mentioned, you decided to uh decided on Purdue, home of the great Glenn Big Dog Robinson, man, like one of my favorite guys to watch. Milwaukee guy, just you know, just 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 being able to um, you know, see him and what he's been able to do or what was able to do in the NBA. Tell us about getting there and then the adjustment from going from you know junior college to major D1 basketball,
0: man. Believe it or not, there was no adjustment. The only adjustment was uh I was playing in front of like 10,000, 15,000 people. Everything was better. The locker rooms was better. We got, you know, 2-3 pairs of shoes, like everything was like the next level up or two or three levels up. But far as talent, man, I, like I said, I came from a powerhouse in high school. I came from a powerhouse in Junior College. I honestly felt like my Junior College team could have beat Purdue. The Purdue team. You know, like, it was that we were that good. We was number one in the country. We had four dudes, and I'm not including myself, that, were, that it could have went pro on my junior college team. You know what I'm saying? Four dudes. Uh, so when I got to Purdue, I'm like, man, these dudes, man. They, what's wrong with these cats, man? They got too good up here. You know what I'm saying? You come from junior college, bro, you getting scraps. And then you go to Purdue, they eating five-course meals. and. Uh, you know, at the uh, training table and all that, I'm like, hey, man, they got it too good. I'm a, I'm a dog. You know what I'm saying? So I worked, man. I worked my tail off. Um, you know, being the oldest, leaving my younger brothers and oldest of five, leaving my younger brothers and sisters, you know, my mom going to work every day, 430 in the morning, cold. I was motivated to either be successful and give it everything I got or just go back home. And we weren't that good my first year. Not at all, and, uh, but I continued to work.
1: So you came out of the gate rolling as you led the conference going. scoring. Can you talk about when it started to click for you that you could see your game going to the next level?
0: Oh, man, that's a great question. Oh, and one of the reasons why I went to Purdue is because we didn't have cable TV, so the only team that I ever was able to watch back at home in Milwaukee was the Milwaukee Bucks, and guess who was the best player on the team? Big dog. They he went down. to Purdue, so that kind of motivated me to swing that way too. Uh, but as far as me feeling confident in myself, was that the question, Drake? Feeling feeling confident in myself, or feeling like I was doing something? Yeah, like when you knew like your game was going to the next level. I never knew. Okay, I was a late bloomer. Got cut my freshman year. Barely made the team my sophomore year. Didn't play much my senior year. Went to went the JUCO route. Everybody else from my high school went D2 or D1. So I'm behind the eight ball in JUCO. I get to Purdue. I'm like, we trash, you know. And my first year, my second season, we were good enough to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, and then we got put out in the tournament by the champs. Y'all already know, especially yes. you, yeah. Florida. Yes. Gators, Florida. Mm-hmm. Joe King Noah. Uh, Al Horford, the number one pick in the D League draft was Chris Richards, and then they had a younger guy who was on the team at that time was Marquis Spates. Anyway, I was the only, no, I'm not gonna say the only big on my team, but I held it down against them dudes, right? I held it down, and that's when I knew Dre. I'm like, man, you know, I might have a shot. I might have a shot. So, but I never <laughs> even up to then. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe.
2: No, 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 oh, no, good as you mentioned though you kind of um you know kind of took off your first year and kind of leading the conference and scoring but then you had some adversities though and this is what we want to talk about oh injury. yeah talk of talk about how that kind of how you over the injuries that you you had um and then how you were able to kind of overcome those
0: yeah i mean even then like i still was i was hooping my fresh. i mean my, my junior year Purdue. then i, I tore my acl mm. you know what i'm saying and i remember tearing my acl and going to that training room and laying on the table and I'm, and I, and asking God, like, God, look, is this for me? I really need to be back home, helping my family, helping my mom raise these kids. I, I really need to be there. And I told God, I said, if you allow me to at least be able to, I'll never forget crying on the training room table, like, dang, it's over. You know, I done tore my knee up. And back then you, if you tell your Achilles, your ACL or something like that, it's hard to, it's hard to bounce back from that. So I remember asking God, like, man, if you let me make uh go overseas and make a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. I remember asking a hundred thousand dollars a year, I'll be grateful forever. So I continued to train my tail off and senior year, I had a better year, the team was better, but that's what motivated me to stay in school was you know, um I ain't gonna say it motivated me, but I had two options. I was like, look, I'm gonna keep playing basketball or I'm going home, man. I can go somewhere. I had a paper route before I even went to college where I was making $200 a week, delivering papers. I'm like, a paper route. I I would get up in the morning before school and deliver papers and I made $200 a week. I'm like, that $200 could help my mom. We put some gas in the table, get some bologna sandwiches, maybe even some cheese on it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) We gonna be good. But me, me being 300 miles, 400 miles away, I'm not helping, I'm not helping my family. We gotta eat. So I made the decision to give it all I had, man. And God worked it out for me.
1: So cool. after such trying times, you returned with an incredible senior season, leading your team in both Greenhouse on the way to NCAA tournament round. Can you talk about the season and was there any moment where you thought I could possibly play at the next level? Yeah, I mean, just kind of going back to playing against Florida. Before then,
0: I didn't know that I could play at the next level. But I was start, starting to hear some talks after playing against Al Horford and Joe King Noah and those guys. They was the best team in the country two years in a row.
2: Two years in a row. So for me to hold
0: it down against them, I'm like, eh, maybe, but I was still, I was still, I wasn't confident in myself just because of all the stuff I went through before that.
2: Yeah. So
0: got an agent, you know what I'm saying? Had like 15 NBA workouts in like 16 days. You know, I remember I only had one off day. Wow. And I'm like, oh, we, you know where I come from walking ain't nobody had an NBA shot so I had workouts I'm like I oh, may be something and Dre when I when I thought I had a chance was when Philadelphia 76ers called me back the day of the draft for a second workout
2: the day of the, the day of the
0: draft I'm like they the day of the draft I'm like ooh, they interested they got the it's 60 picks in the NBA draft 30 in the first round I mean 30 in the first round yeah 30 in the second round I'm like ooh. Philadelphia got the 57th and the 59th pick. Man, <laughs> <y'all my favorite. laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I was geek. I'm like, yeah, let's go. I might be, I might get picked. They had two picks like late, late, late in the draft. And uh I was like, ooh, they get bringing me back for a second round. I mean, second workout, I might get picked. And you, next, you, and I was like, I might have a chance.
2: You're talking about not you the, the excitement you showing, not a lottery pick, not like top 10, top 15. You know, you're saying, I just want the opportunity to be drafted. and just, I just the want an opportunity. I want an opportunity.
0: That's it. And I know you probably, y'all both probably hear it all the time, that it's not where you get drafted at, it's if you're given an opportunity. Some dudes get drafted in the first round in the NFL draft. And some dudes get drafted in the last round, and in the last round have better careers than the dudes that got drafted in the first round. It's all about opportunity. So I was grateful and humble, and like, Lord, you just give me a chance, you know. I'm gonna make
1: the yeah, best I, of I, it. So, yeah, I, I didn't feel that, man. I, I was seven round picking, and I came out like, man, I, I gotta play ball, man. I, I, I knew I knew I was good enough. I knew I was good enough. I knew I knew I had the skill. I knew I had the talent. But yeah. they they ain't really believe me. I had to show them, man. So I just showed them. It's opportunity, man. Yeah,
2: and that, and that was one of one of one of the great stories in which I enjoyed because being a part of the team when Dre was there, and the coach at the time would always ask guys where they were drafted, and basically like later round guys, he would say basically you're undrafted, and uh, just to know like a guy like Dre who was undrafted, oh not undrafted, but a seven round guy. Was a leader of the team. Like, there's guys they drafted yeah. year after year to replace them that he beat out. So, it it's not, it don't matter how you get drafted. Uh, it, it's, it's the opportunity that you make the best of. Now, in some cases, where you get drafted really, you know, lends to like the, the amount of opportunities you may get out the gate, you know, because if they right. draft in the first round, they may give you a little more room to make some development. But if you got it, you got it. Right. You know I,
0: mean? I love it, man. Yeah. It's just opportunity.
2: So let's talk about draft night. What did you? Where, where did you think? Uh, you just mentioned you was excited about Philly, so that's probably where you yeah. thought you would go. For. that's what that's why what what I was going. So, so talk about what it was like to get that phone call and to hear your name called. Like, well, so talk about that.
0: So it's funny because uh, I, I actually went to Philly on on draft day. Worked out. My plane was the weather was bad. My plane was delayed. My family had a draft party for me back in Milwaukee. I couldn't even get back to Milwaukee. I'm like, where can I go? So I went back to Indiana. I went back to Indiana to be with my agent and my buddies and everything from Indiana. I'm like, well, if I can't get to Milwaukee tonight, you know, after the workout, there was only late flights after the workout. And I'm like, if I can't get to Milwaukee, I need to get somewhere. Man, I sat in that room with my agent and my friends. And uh, I'm just sitting back, you know, they start the second round and I'm like, OK, cool. You know, I just left Philly a couple hours ago. I'm probably going to hear my name at 59 or 60. Right. <laughs> the last pixel of the draft. So I'm chilling. I'm just chilling. I'm just watching the second round. I'm not even ready. And I think it was uh, Adam, Adam Silver. He was the uh, assistant commissioner at the time. He said. And the Seattle Supersonics, the first pick of the second round goes to the Seattle Supersonics and they select Carl Landry. I was like, what? Like, how do you work out for the Supersonics? You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) aren't they going to Oklahoma City? (laughs) It was weird and I'm just like, what's going on? Like, God, how did did I even get drafted that high? Like, I went from thinking I was going to be the last pick of the second round to first pick of the second round. So I'm like, dang, that's crazy. It was almost unreal. I really couldn't even take it in at the time because I thought I was dreaming. Then my agent, he got on the phone, and he was like, well, you're still the first pick of the second round, but you're not going to Seattle. You're going to Houston. And that's how it worked. <laughs> <Amazing. laughs> Jump like, wow. What a story.
1: <laughs> yeah, so yeah you, you got you got drafted to the to the rockets. Tell us what it was like to, to walk in the locker room with the likes of y'all, me, Steve, Francis, Tracy McGrady. Man.
0: Like I said earlier, Dre, really like I'm a gamer. You know, I like video games, sports games. So I would play uh NBA 2K, I think it was, at the time, and I would fly in the air with. Steve Francis dunk on everybody with y'all mean and score 50 with T-Mac. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> like, actually going into the locker room and seeing them dudes, I'm like, dang, how much you make a <laughs> Like, all these thoughts were going through my head. And, uh, man, it was surreal, man. It was surreal. And, and I think the first practice was like, I, I might have been out of it. Man, I was out of it. And then to somebody hit me with a screen, and I'm like, dang, wait, you a second-round pick, you know? Your contract ain't guaranteed. You better wake up. Yeah. You better have that <laughs> same mentality you had in Juco. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it was on after end. So.
2: so so, as you mentioned, man, again, a lot of those guys, you're talking about max contract guys, a lot of franchise-type players. Who was, uh, who was the guy that kind of took you under your wing and kind of show you a little bit about being a pro?
0: Mask, it's a great question. Uh, we had a, a team full of veterans Bonzi Wells, uh, Tracy, Shane Battier, uh, y'all, and, and y'all and in the Kimbe were probably, and even Shane, y'all and the were took me under their wing. At that time, the NBA had tra- uh, uh, changed the dress code so you had to wear suits and stuff. You know, I ain't had no money. They wasn't paying me endorsements, giving me checks and stuff like they do now in college. So I had to have suits, and there was certain stuff that I had to have. And uh, man, y'all, i mean you and and, and Dikembe—man, they they took care of me. They looked out, man. I, and I'm still cool with them to this day. And uh, they showed me how to be uh, a professional. You know, they showed me how to how the game was done, how was—you know—the business side of it, and and all that. And uh, I appreciate them to this day.
1: Okay, what was your first big money lesson you learned once you made it? Did you have an idea of how to manage that type of money?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's a, That's a tough one. My first big money lesson. There were several. Obviously, my contract wasn't guaranteed. You know, so my money lesson was like, "Look, man, if you do get a contract, you probably not gonna make that much. So whatever you get, like, you probably need to save it." You know, my contract at my rookie contract was non guaranteed, and that was four hundred twenty seven thousand dollars. You know, and I was sitting next to a guy in my locker room that was making <laughs> twenty. 20 something million dollars, you know what I'm saying? So in my mind, I'm like, I can't live the same lifestyle he lived, I can't drive the same cars he drive, I can't wear the same clothes he wears. Just I don't know. Right away, I was just like, Man, something you know is different, you know, and I can't spend my money because my contract is not guaranteed, right? I gotta save it. So and being around vets, they were able to talk to me. But my first lesson, my first or real lesson, I believe it was
2: 2011
0: NBA lockout. And you hear, you hear talks and stuff like that around the locker room. Like, man, this dude making 10 million dollars a year, and he got five baby mamas. He
2: <laughs> been divorced
0: seven times. You know what I'm saying? He got 10 houses, 50 cars, and he living paycheck to paycheck. You know. I heard that talk in the locker room, like this dude living paycheck to paycheck. 2011 hit NBA lockout, right? Oh, My real lesson was that these dudes that was making 10 $15, 20000000 million couldn't pay their bills. Wow. That was my lesson. Like Carl, if you don't wake up and realize that, look, tomorrow ain't promised, you got to be smart with your money, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I remember Shane Battier telling me, he said, Carl, you see what's happening to some of these guys around the league? You know, they ask these investment firms and going to the bank and asking for, you know, three million dollars with 25, 30 percent interest rate. You know, and what's crazy is these banks and stuff, well, we're giving them loans. And I'm like, how do you make ten million dollars and, and you live paycheck to paycheck? I don't even know how much a, a 10 million dollar check is every two weeks, but I know it's crazy. And uh Shane pulled me to the side. He said, What kind of lifestyle style do you want to live when, when uh you're done playing basketball? And it took me back to sitting on that training table with, at Purdue and asking God if I could make 100000 mm-hmm. know, dollars a year. I would give it all to him. You know, I would give him everything I got. And it took me back to that. And I said, Shane, I want to make, you know, I want to make a hundred thousand. Like I feel like I'll be rich, you know, I'll be like, I'm good. I have a house, 40 acres in the mule. Like, and he was like, Think about it, Carl. He was like, if you want to live like you make $100,000 a year, he said, you got to start saving now. So when everything is finished, he said you can live that $100,000 a year lifestyle. And he changed me, man. Like being in locker rooms with vets, man, he saw something in me probably that I didn't even see in myself. So,
2: Man, you you touched on some great points there and stuff that I like to talk about a lot on our podcast. When a rookie come in and being around veteran guys who make those big time contracts and trying to live the same life that they live, you know what I mean? Like you're putting yourself, and not it, it, believe it or not, a lot of guys don't even realize it. They just like you know he going to buy this, I can get that. Uh, he, he's he's wearing this, I can wear that. I can eat here. He, you know, they don't really realize that th- that's two different type of lifestyles. And like you, and like what you mentioned, having a veteran guy. And I think this is more, I hear a lot of this the, the, the podcasts that I listen to that talk about their vets, guys that teach them about being a pro. I see it more as a um, culture in NBA than I think in the NFL. And Dre can speak to this if you like, um, because the locker rooms are so big in the NFL and this majority of the guys, a lot of the guys are young. So they tend to kind of hang together than some of the veteran guys. But Having that that veteran, as you mentioned, like a Shane that really just invest in you and give you that game, man, that's game-changing. That's life-changing.
0: Life life-changing, man, definitely, man, and I appreciate it, you know, so much. You got to think, like, we had, I think 15 guys can be on the team, but at that time, only three rookies, yeah. you know, so you got an opportunity to, vet, you know, invest in the rookies a little bit more than you do in the NFL, you know, but if I had to give some, some youngsters of some advice, I would say. Listen, if you can't listen to a vet, because some of these young dudes, they come in, they don't listen. You know, they do whatever they want to do. You know, (laughs) they spend their money how they want to spend. Watch the vets, you know, just like you watch the D-Boys, the dope dealers and all of that back at home. when You grew up and you wanted to be like them. Watch the vets. You know what I'm saying? Watch how they move. Watch, listen to some of these stories. You know, they may not be talking to you, but like you said, Jeff, earlier, you were ear hustling. Sometimes that's the stuff you got to do. You know, and be a sponge, soak it all in, man. Because that type of environment, you can get so much information from. You know, so much information from, man. You got to be a sponge and, and, and soak it all up and, and uh, make the best of that time. The good,
2: the good and the bad, like you can see it all. You can exactly see it wrong. I'm yeah. not doing this. Yeah, the good and the bad.
0: The, the 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 player that got divorced six times and got ten different money, <laughs> that's the bad, you yes. know. Yes, you know, don't 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 make those decisions, don't go that route. Be smart, man. And uh and then you got players that got you know investing with this person, investing with that person, and that you know is spending their money wisely, and people talk in the locker room, so you know, mm-hmm. you know, so kind of you know. Ear hustle, you know. Take them off to lunch, you know. Sit by them on the plane or the bus. So, man,
2: so them them some of them jewels. So, so those that are listening, please take heed. Um, but we'll get back to so after um, so your, your your rookie year, right? We're talking about um, you didn't play early on in the season. Um, after a couple injuries, you got the opportunity to show your skills. You were named second team all. Talk about just getting that first opportunity to really play you know in the nba it's really and then really to start to see like okay i can really compete and kind of have a little a little space for me you know in that and being being recognized all second team all rookie talk man talk about that
0: oh man that's a story that people probably won't believe that's a book in itself but just in a nutshell uh going from a player that was drafted second round i signed a one-year deal it was non-guaranteed uh And I thank God for this man. He actually was the coach of the Brooklyn Nets before Steve Steve Nash. Uh, And his name is Kenny Atkinson. He was the player development coach in Houston. Every day I come to that gym, right? I may be in the locker room too long. I may be talking at breakfast too long. I may be just BSing, you know what I'm saying, or lollygagging. Soon as I come in that gym, the first person I see is Kenny Atkinson. And he looked at me in my eyes every single day. And he told me this. He said, Carl, he said, 73% of second-round picks never see a second contract. You here today, what you want to do? You want to make the best of it or you want to be a statistic? And I work my tail off every day. And both of y'all know the saying, they say, when you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. And when I got that opportunity to get on the floor, it was curtains. Because not only was I that dude in JUCO that was a dog, I got one chance. And I got a 73% of felony. So I got to get it. By any means necessary, I'm coming to practice every day early. I'm staying late. I'm watching extra film. You know, I'm, I'm getting up extra shots. I'm doing everything it takes. Ain't nobody going to work outwork me because guess what? You have to control what you can control. I didn't want to get cut after that first year and be and say to myself, dang, I should have, dang, I could have, dang, I would have, wish I. You know what I'm saying? Nah. We're going to get it right now. We're gonna get it right now, and thank God for a player development coach like Kenny Atkinson to, to, to remind me each and every day that there was a 73% chance that I wouldn't be here next year. Wow, because that drove me wow. through the wall.
2: Some some negativity again, negative, little, little, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Wow. that's crazy, man. <clears throat> so, I'll I, I, I make a name for yourself in Houston. Yeah, stop Sacramento, New Orleans, Golden State before you're going back to Sacramento. Can you talk about playing with a young Steph Curry? Did you know he would be who he is today?
0: I knew Steph Curry could be good, but he was never healthy. He was never healthy. And actually, while I was there, uh it was his extension year for his contract. And they didn't know if they was going to extend him or not i mean it went down to the last minute and he had so many his contract was like they gave him an extension four year extension but it it was like 10 million dollars a year 11 million dollars a year it was like four years 40 million or something like that 44 million and he was so grateful he was so grateful that at, at that moment because he knew he was dealing with injuries. And even that year when I was playing with him, he was dealing with injuries. But I'll never forget Madison Square Garden. There was a day because he had, it, but he just couldn't, he couldn't stay on the court. Madison Square Garden, you know, the Mecca, right? We went out there and he dropped a 50-piece chicken. Something like that. Is <laughs> did in the finals. He dropped a 50-piece chicken, but the look in his eyes, I mean, I was like, this dude is different, you know, and I seen him doing it in practice, but that day I feel like was a day that changed him forever. Like popping threes, hitting all types of incredible shots. And what he did that year is he dedicated himself to the training room. Even nights where probably nobody knows, but he slept in the training room to rehab his ankles, you know? And um, man, Dude bounced back and probably arguably, you know, one of the best point guards that ever played this game.
2: The Madison Madison Square Gardens and just my understanding of some of the things, guys have had some of their best games in Madison Square Gardens. You talk about some of the dogs. So to hear you talk about being in a place like that for it to be that moment for it really to click with him and give him that confidence, man, I'm not surprised. But I'm even thinking about the possibility of him – leaving Golden State before that even could happen, right? What yeah. would the NBA yeah. kind of look like now? Like that could have very well been a possibility. Yeah, because they they, they
0: they they thought about not giving him an extension, you know? And, man, that's crazy, man, to even think that. Dude, should revolutionized the game of basketball, you know? Yes.
2: Uh, greatest shoes of all time. Um, but talk about, uh, in, in that being so, talk about even uh, having an opportunity to play for Mark Jackson. What was that like? <laughs>
0: Man, I love that dude, man. I love that dude, man. Just a great all-around guy, man, a believer. Um, Knows exactly what to tell you, when to tell you, and get you to just play at 200%, man. Wow. Man, that dude, I, I, I spent one year there, but I loved playing with him. I loved playing with Mark Jackson, man. Great coach. Great coach feeds into his players' confidence each and every day. He would tell us, hey, look, man, we in Madison Square Garden, and you're going to have a good game tonight. Wow. Go get your finest shoes, go get your finest suits, get your hair cut, because the media is going to be watching you after the game. They're going to be talking to you after the game. You know, stuff like that. And sure enough, man, I remember sitting in the locker room, and and he told Steph and Clay, he said, y'all the two best shooters ever seen. He said this league has ever seen. The two greatest shooters of all time. He said that. Wow. And I was like, man, please. <laughs> <laughs> heard, like, all these I started naming off. Little you know, by the end of that year, Splash Butter, Splash Brothers. And look, today, those two dudes is the greatest backcourt this game has ever seen. And no he question. said, So Mark Jackson is the type of person that was a I don't know if he was a prophet, <laughs> but he he knew how he knew how to talk to you, man, and knew the right things to say.
1: Okay. You I would not like, like after one year, would you have done the same if you do, the team will go, go on to win a championship?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. I'm gonna just be all the way honest. We work, we go to work every day to make money.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, if I if I and I had an opportunity to increase my pay by leaving, I increased my value at Golden State. And I had an opportunity to increase my pace significantly by leaving. So um, I'm happy for my brothers that won the championship in, in Golden State the year I left. But be honest with you, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it because I play the game because it's a job. I play it because I love it, but I play it because it's a job first if you know if i wanted to play the game for free i would just go to the local court around the corner from my house would play it you know or if i wanted to play in an environment that could win a championship or something like that like you know i would join a team that could do that you know no matter where it is in the world you know but you you go to work to to get paid ultimately you know and i made the decision to to leave because of financial reasons.
2: I'm, I'm glad you said that because <clears throat> is, is, is at the end of the day what an individual you know perceived to be successful when you're talking about coming from nothing right, you can get a All championship right. ring which would be a great experience to talk about but that championship ring may not create that generational wealth that you're looking for or to change your family's life so I'm glad you talk about it because you know, I think coaches and media kind of paint that pitch is all about winning.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You Let know what, what I mean? mean it's, it's guys that won championships that's broke.
2: Facts. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's guys that won championships and got rings, and they're selling their rings on eBay right now. If you think yeah. I'm go look it up. <laughs> you
2: know
0: what I'm saying? Yeah. like, dude, you know. Given that opportunity, there we go again. Like, that's the that's the word of the day, opportunity. Given that opportunity, I couldn't pass it up, man. I couldn't pass it up. I was trying to go back home for $200 a week.
2: Yeah. You
0: right. know what I'm saying? Like, I, I couldn't pass that up. So if I had an opportunity to, to go back and, and win a championship or take a pay in Sacramento, yeah, I got to go to Sacramento.
2: Absolutely. You got to remember, it's the sports business. And a lot of times, guys forget that part of it they just want to continue to chase that childhood passion of playing and winning but it's a business and you want to put yourself in position um, to do well you know long term right and it's about making moves of what's best for you and your family so um you finished your career um in in philly um and you had the opportunity to play in the, the chinese basketball association can you talk about just that experience all right philly you had to stop there and I was Embiid there at that time. It was a young Embiid there? Yeah, trust the process was there. Trust the process. <laughs> yeah. Trust the process. That
0: he was hurt, but we had a lot of uh, players that were younger. You know, uh, high, high lottery picks, and they were trusting the process that one day these lottery picks could turn the franchise around. And even guys like myself, you know, who were veterans, you know, I was just looked upon as a veteran type of player. Even though I still had it, you know, that wasn't my role on that team. So decided to go to China. And uh, the reason why is because I had a relationship. Like I said earlier in the podcast, Yao Ming is a great friend of mine. So I had an opportunity to travel back and forth to China, like almost 10 times, about 10 times. And I don't know if y'all know, but the Houston Rockets, because of Yao, um, everybody in China loved the Houston Rockets because of Yao. That's what I was trying to say. And every Houston Rocket game, more Chinese people watch the Houston Rockets game with all due respect, Dre, than the Super Bowl, you know, because it's that that many people in China. So I was like a rock star, you know, in China. One, because I played for the Houston Rockets, and two, because I was Yao Ming's friend. And uh, I was able to travel there and have endorsements there and, you know, set up a lot of stuff in China. And uh, I took that route because I wanted to – uh, play overseas, like some of my college teammates and friends had. I wanted to experience that. My younger brother he played overseas. I wanted to experience that, and I wanted to experience the living in China. Mm. I wanted to experience that, and uh, I took upon that opportunity and chose to play for the G League Tigers.
2: So, mm. so was it what you kind of thought it would be, and just kind of—I mean, again, you talk about fandom at a different level when you talk about you know, again, the Chinese and the bat of basketball. What was that? What you thought it would be, or what was that? That kind of experience?
0: yeah, it was. I played uh, in Jilin. It's a it's a place that is northeast in China, and it gets extremely cold there. Like extremely cold. When I left the last game of the season, it was negative twenty five. So Jeez. it gets cold. The way we dressed. I mean, I was drinking emergency and taking zinc and all that each, every day, every morning, every day. But the experience was great, man. Those fans still came out, they supported. And uh, there ain't nothing like playing basketball in China, man. Them fans is real. They real. And uh, I appreciate that opportunity. And in fact, I actually ended up playing the following season in Japan. So uh those two countries were definitely tough to play in. Uh I'm, well, sorry, I wouldn't say they were tough to play in. It was tough at first until I started to embrace the culture, mm. you know. At first, I was like, what they saying? Man, I ain't trying to hear all that. You know what I'm saying? And uh, once I started, that's, I'm not trying to be you know, any negative, but I didn't understand it and I didn't embrace it. So once I embraced it and I understood like what they saying, was saying and I could start speaking back to them, that's when things just came easy, man. And that's when they loved me even more. That's why Stefan Marbury is a god over there he's not the god obviously but he is you know looked at as a a a, a big time figure over there because he embraced the culture he eats what they eat he talks like them you know he lives where they live he he is a you know a, a chinese native and uh they love that they love it man wow he has an apartment in beijing wow (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah, you, got a, you got a statue and everything over there.
1: Yeah. He's a man. That's what's up. So, yeah. So, you decided to retire after your time in the CBA. Can you talk about when you first started to think about retirement and what the transition has been like for you?
0: Yeah. When Kenny Atkinson, when, my first time thinking about retirement was when Kenny Atkinson told me 73% of second round picks yeah, <laughs>
2: never. <laughs>
0: i started planning then you know (laughs) (laughs) so and and it came it came fairly easy to me because you know i would go to different uh players association meetings and stuff like that and hear you know uh former athletes dealing with relationship problems dealing with that transition you know of retirement So I always wanted to put myself in that that position where, you know, it was a smooth transition. Some players was like, man, I live, I breathe, I eat basketball. That's all I can do. I don't know what to do without it, you know? And I didn't want to be one of those guys. Yeah. You know, you you hear your coach say, man, leave it all out there on the floor. Mm -hmm. You know, don't go back home and be like, man, man, I wish I should have, you know? Leave it all out there on the floor. And that's what I did. I left everything out there on the floor and I retired when I felt like, you know, it
2: was a good time. Mm -hmm. Good deal. Uh, If you I mean, you're you're now in the space of transition. Um, It's been a couple of years now, I want to say, since your retirement. Do you see at some point you got you got a young kid, a young son, (laughs) kind of, you know, tapping back into no, no,
0: I'm not thinking about giving nothing back to the game right now. No, <laughs> no, I am <laughs> exhausted. I'm exhausted, man. Uh, we do hold a camp back at home uh, in Milwaukee, in Nashville. I feel like I give back when I say we, my brothers, my sisters, uh, my family, uh and we have a lot of sponsors. Even the Milwaukee Bucks are there. We teach not only basketball, but nutrition. Uh We teach a lot of lessons, a lot of life lessons. And uh I give back, you know, once a year. But far as being a coach, anything like that, man, I've been offered those opportunities. And, you uh, know, I'm good. I'm good right now. Not, not uh, right
2: now. Not right now. But, but, not but right before, now. Before we let Drake close us out on this question, I mentioned, I mean, you just mentioned your brother and your sister. Can you talk about, what has basketball been for them? Like the opportunity they've had and your sister and your brother um, playing at a high level. Can you talk about that? Just kind of how it kind of became more of like a family business?
0: Oh man, it's crazy. It's crazy, man. Basketball, that ball has taken me to places and given me an opportunity to meet people that I've never could have dreamed of. And it's done the same thing for my family. It's given us an education. It's given my mom and dad something to talk about you know what i'm saying 30 40 years of uh, being together and uh it keeps our family together man uh i'm so grateful for that opportunity uh to be able to play basketball it's giving my brother opportunity to travel all over the world his kids you know to travel all over the world with him go to school in italy my sister france i mean the list goes on and on and on uh you know, and us have relationships all over the world. Yeah. Um, grateful, man. Grateful. Grateful. Hard work pays off. Hard work pays off. Being persistent pays off. It's
1: a good conversation, though, man. I like this. I like this a lot. Great conversation. Uh, all right. What, what would be your best to a young man who had dreamed of playing pro but has not, has, has not even the star player on the high school team and don't have any college
2: offers? Hmm. Think you've been saying it all, interview long, but yeah, yeah I mean,
1: <laughs>
0: I've been saying it. But I think I heard Pastor Jay say something like this, and don't quote me on this. But he said, When preparation meets opportunity, you got to make the most of it. You're always going to get opportunity, right? But you got to stay prepared, you got to stay prepared. Your opportunity is going to school for the athlete, right? That plays football, basketball, baseball, whatever. You're always going to have an opportunity to prepare, right? But you can make the wrong choice and get bad grades and miss out on the opportunity to make the team, to miss out on the opportunity because you're not on the team for a scout to see you, you know? So you're always, you always have to prepare, you know? You never know who watching, man. You never know. And stay motivated. I tell my daughter all the time, fake it till you make it. Oh, like God is always, he's always going to give you an opportunity. So stay ready. Stay ready. Never have regret. That's the worst thing a person can have in life is regret. So leave it all out there. You know what I'm saying? Take advantage and uh, make Make wise choices, and uh, never give up on your dreams. you know. I think you know, when I was a kid, I didn't dream big enough. you know? Mm. so dream, but dream big, man, Dream big, and strive each and every day to accomplish those dreams.
2: You man know? Carl, this has been an amazing interview. <clears throat> Just all the details of your story that you shared. Again, being knocked down, not being a starter, finding your way in JUCO. Like, that stuff all lends to a life experience that you're able to share a different perspective that, is, um, that, that actually connects with more people than not in every walk of life, right? Because we've all been knocked down, we've all had adversity, but you've continued to strive and you were able to reach the mountaintop in terms of just being able to make it pro. But just having perspective on being grateful and appreciative, um, you know, sh- just sharing in those opportunities in which you're grateful that, you know, God allowed these different opportunities and stand ready. So you ain't have to get ready. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like that are some key pointers that we got that we got to take from this message. We've had you for a long time. We're so grateful for you being on the podcast, man. We look forward to, um, you know, even w- whatever you have coming in the future. You know, I definitely going to be uh, sitting back and watching that and, and supporting and, and learning from you a lot of the things you've been able to do, uh, uh, post-career and, and what that looks like in the future. Dre, you got any other questions
1: for him? Man, I'm just thankful for you being on the show, man. You, you're a great guy, man. You you, did, you, 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 came, you you really came up, bro. Like You really came up. Like pe- People don't really do that. You, you really did that. You really did your thing, bro. And uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to get to know you, man. Like You're a really good dude. I really hope, hope to get to know you better. But uh, thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Man, I appreciate y'all.
2: Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. I've
1: been grinding all my life, all my
2: life, been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle paid the price, want a slice, got to roll a dice, that's why.